Wasn't that just powerful? Come on, was that powerful? Give it up, give it up. Wow. When Michael started jumping, I wish I could jump at 67. When he started jumping, he got my opening to the message. See, we think of spirituality. So moms, I'm going to make a powerful statement here. We think of spirituality as times of quiet and get alone, time alone. Do you think Michael's mom's ever going to have any quieter time alone? Come on. (laughs) Not at all. In fact, raise your hand if you've had two, three, or four kids in your life. Not just those that are here today, okay? Now listen, and for the moms that are here today, because we just dedicate all these precious babies, I want you to just take 10 seconds right now. Let's have a moment of silence. Would you do it? Because that's the last moment they're going to have right there. So that's it. And I'm telling you, moms, listen to me. The womb is in the middle of your existence. And you provided this precious place for God to give you life in the middle. I asked God for a phrase that you will never forget, Mother's Day 2021, and here it is. And I want you to shout it, in the middle, say it. Come on, a little more energy. In the middle, because you see, moms, listen, I'm going to make a powerful statement. It's a bold statement. You have been placed in the middle of these precious lives to make every major decision and encourage every major decision. Now, men, don't get mad at me. I did my research. I wish I could give you different results from the research. But women and moms make over 60% of the major decisions in your home. Come on. Relax, men. Come on. Give it up for that. Give it up. Listen, when I went to plant a church in Phoenix, Arizona, Bill Gaither grabbed me at 33 years old, pulled me over at a board meeting at Anderson University, and said to me, Robin Wood, don't be like stupid pastors who think you're going to win 30-year-old men. They're not looking for the church. Come on. He said, you go out there, and you market, and you project your church to powerful women because women will decide what home they live in. They will decide what church they choose. They'll be responsible for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They will decide vacations. They will decide the vehicle that best suits the family and the children. Come on, men, get more excited. Because women have a spiritual gift. You know what that spiritual gift is? It's not listed in the Bible. They actually help you think you made the decision. Come on. <laughs> and you didn't. And by the way, it shows up in fun little places. Like usually before I come to church, I get up and I get dressed. And my favorite line from Julia is, you're not going to wear that to church, are you? Come on, that's a funny line. And of course I say, no, I'm just taking out the dogs. And then I was going to ask you, what should I wear? Come on. (laughs) And so if you wonder why I look so good today, because I have an awesome woman in my life, Julia Wood. Come on, give it up. She, She bought these for me yesterday. She said, don't wear your normal black shirt with that stupid sport coat. They all think you never change Sunday to Sunday. So this is it today. So give it up one more time. Come on, this is it. Women decide. Listen, this is not a negative. They decide in the middle of life. They nurture. Now, women, I have some good and bad news. The greatest joys of your life will be as a mom, as a woman making these decisions. And then you'll hear the same message that Mary heard 
from the Holy Spirit. You will experience deep joy and a sword will pierce your soul. Listen, this is no game for the weak in heart to be a mom or a dad because not only will you experience the greatest joy, but you will experience the greatest pain. Because if you don't understand words like self-sacrifice, have a baby. If you don't understand the words servanthood and to be selfless and to put anyone else above yourself and think more highly of others than yourself, become a mom because that's what you're going to do. And you're going to experience really the very life of Jesus who emptied himself of all the power that he could have if he didn't become our savior, but he went to a cross. And that is what waits before every mom here today. Now, this, this is a painful day for some women because of all the challenges of infertility. This is a painful day for people like me that had a mom that had an awesome side to her but had some mental illness. And my mother never cooked for us the last three years of my high school life. And, and my sister really kind of became our quasi-mom. And some of you have that kind of story. And yet I can do differentiation. My mother did some powerful things. My mother negotiated with me when I was a sophomore, when I said, I'm not going back to church. And my dad was a music minister. She negotiated with me to not embarrass my dad. Would you go work in the nursery at church and you'll never have to go to another service? And I said, hallelujah, come on. And I didn't, but I worked in a nursery with kids and God's done a powerful thing in my life through young people and kids and from, from babies on up because my mother negotiated that and it probably protected me from going even farther from God than I got. I didn't come to Christ till I was in college, but she negotiated that. So in the midst of the bipolar and the different things she had going on and she was abused as a child, we found out things we can't even mention that just so deeply hurtful from her dad. But listen, some of you have those experiences, but there's no greater calling to be placed in the middle. And by the way, say it with me one more time, in the middle, say it, in the middle, because all of the gospel is wrapped up in the middle. The story of God's love for us began in the middle of a garden, right? You know, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, in the middle of the garden, God says you can have every tree, 99.8% of the trees, one tree not to eat from, the other one, the tree of life. And he tells us, I'll provide everything for you, and we don't believe him. In the middle of the garden, we lose our way. And in the middle of that garden, God does his first sacrifice and kills an animal and provides clothing and protection for Adam and Eve. And then he blocks the tree of life so they won't be lost forever. And then we read through the Old Testament and God shows up. In fact, just say the phrase when I ask you, where does God show up in the burning bush in the middle? Where does God show up in the crossing of the Red Sea? In the middle of the Red Sea. By the way, our text today in the King James would say that he met the disciples in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the boat, in the middle of the night on the fourth watch. The fourth watch is 3 a.m. It was 3 a.m. when God delivered the children of Israel in the middle of the Red Sea. You know, then you go to seminary and get all confused. Someone says, well, you know, the Red Sea really wasn't that deep. 
And then they go, you're all confused until you finally realize he either parted the Red Sea or he drowned the entire Egyptian army in six inches of water. Come on, people. (laughs) You can look at it any way you want. But in the middle is when God showed up. And every powerful story in the Old Testament, God shows up in the middle. When Elijah is fighting against the prophets of Baal, he calls on God to show up and douse and douse, send fire down from heaven after they had doused his sacrifice. In the middle of the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in because they wouldn't bow down to the king's edict. And the king looked in, and what did he say he saw? He said, I see in the middle of the fire someone like the Son of God. It was the Son of God. In the middle of the lion's den, God shows up. Every major story, every major encounter, David in his sin, in his brokenness as king, committing adultery, committing murder, where does God show up? In the middle, in the middle and restores him and calls him a man after his own heart. After Samson doesn't even acknowledge the spirit of God with his power, guess where God shows up at the end of Samson's life? In the middle. Where does God show up when Jonah runs from him? He shows up in the middle of the whale. God always shows up in the middle. Women, let me tell you something. God will show up in the middle of your calling as a mom. Pastor Greg said, you know why you're preaching on Mother's Day? I said, no, I really don't. He said, because we know women make all the decisions, but we're not brave enough to say it, but you are. That's what he said. (laughs) He said, I know Beth makes all the decisions, but she has that spiritual gift. She actually convinces me that I made those decisions. (laughs) But the bottom line is, he said, I have a spirit-filled wife that has totally transformed my life in the middle of a cornfield in Eaton, Indiana in the middle of two young sons have grown up to be remarkable young men. Beth was in the middle, say it with me, in the middle. In the middle of his office, he receives a vision from a visiting missionary. In the middle, he gets a vision for Kazakhstan. And in the middle of receiving that vision for 12 years, he searches and now we, Union Chapel, have planted seven house churches, say it with me, in the middle of Almaty. And now we're going to Asana, the capital with Almas this year. And guess what we're gonna do in the middle of that capital? We're gonna plant another church and house churches because Pastor Greg accepted God's call in the middle of a cornfield. And then he took us to the middle of Delta High School. And then he just thought God was going to open a door in Muncie. And we end up in the middle of the Ford dealership. Come on, people. Somebody shout out there. This is awesome. God shows up in the middle. And then a year ago, Greg accepted the vision we cast to him from Nick Vujicic, Life Without Limbs. So Nick, without any arms or legs, has been in over 200 prisons in the United States. And God gave him a vision, raise up churches in the middle of prisons. Don't pipe in your service. We're not criticizing that. But 
very few men come to see. What, what relevance would they feel from us on the outside? But men are finding Christ in prison, and Nick's been over 200 prisons, and he has watched them get their degrees in ministry. And so he called me and Jay Harvey to go to every prison he's been in to plant a church. And two weeks ago, we were in Madison, Florida, just outside Jacksonville, in Madison and Jefferson, those two facilities. Now, you guys might want to know what we do sometimes in the middle of the week. What do pastors do? Well, we were in the middle of two facilities. And in each facility, we met 20 or 30 men and two or three men in each prison that had been called to the ministry. And I taught them. They enjoyed me. You know what I told them? I can teach you everything I know in one hour, but I'll take two so you're impressed. Come on. And I told them that on the outside, God has shown us how to launch a new church and a new community where there are lost people over 80% with over 200 people. And I taught them that they had the gift of gathering. I taught them how they could have a big event. And I said, what would that look like? And they said, we'd have to go to the yard. And I said, your worship team, by the way, do you want to know a few funny things about prison that we can say right here? They have the best musicians in the country in prison. Come on, people. I heard some of the greatest worship bands in both prisons and vocalists. I heard the best pianist I've heard in years now in prison. And I remember looking at them and said, listen, you can reach this entire prison for Christ. And I said, you know what the good news is? You don't have to have a children's ministry. Come on, people, have a little fun. I said, you know what the great news is? You don't have to build a parking lot. Come on, people. You don't have to build a church. It's right here. And in that little chapel, I taught them everything I knew two weeks ago. Little did I know that they would receive that in the middle of those prisons. Little did I know that God would do what he's always been doing from the beginning of scriptures to the New Testament when he shows up in the middle of everybody's life. The woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, the blind man, Zacchaeus in the middle of a sycamore tree. God shows up through his son, Jesus. And our text today in the middle of the boat, would you throw up our text? And I would like you to stand for the reading of this and see in the middle of this passage that this is in the middle of their crisis, in the middle of their fear, at the fourth watch of the night, if you were reading the King James Version, all right? That's 3 a.m. Of course they were afraid because they had all kinds of myth, mythology that, that there would be ghosts at night and some from the dead come back. And all of a sudden they're going to see Jesus walking on the water in the middle of the night, in the middle of the boat, in the middle of their fear, in the middle of the darkest part of the night. And here's what the text says. Immediately after feeding the 5,000, by the way, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat, say it with me, was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. It was a bad storm. Shortly before dawn, if you're reading King James, the fourth watch, 3 a.m., when did he deliver the children of Israel? 3 a.m. Now, in the middle of the boat, in the middle of the night, in the middle of their fear, he comes walking on the lake at 3 a.m. Go to the next slide, please. He was about to pass them by. We often miss that, by the way. He didn't just go rescue them. They had to cry out to him. But they saw him walking on the lake. They 
on the lake. They thought he was a ghost, so they cried out. They were terrified. They probably screamed because they all saw him. They were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them. Now, get this. Take courage. Listen to that next phrase. It is I. Don't be afraid. That phrase in the Greek, it is I, is I am who I am. That's how God describes himself in, in the Exodus. I am. Moses, you go. Who's sending me? I am is sending you. And so Jesus identifies himself as God. Then he climbed into the boat. The wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. May God add his blessing to this reading of this, this scripture. Now listen, I was telling you about in prison. So I cast this vision. I said, in the middle of your addictions, in the middle of your brokenness, in the middle of why you were put in prison, in the middle of your darkest moment at 3 a.m. in the middle of the night, God can forgive you. And he can raise you up to pastor a church in this prison. And they believed me. So I got a phone call this past Thursday. And guess what they told me? Those men believed you and went to the chaplain and said, Robin said we could raise up a church and we could break the 200 barrier. Come on, people. Jay Harvey says, I've got the opening line for your funeral, Robin. He's going to break the 200 barrier at his funeral. Come on, they're going to show up. But listen, they went to the chaplain and said, we could have a yard event and do the worship team and give our testimonies. And our two guys that Robin trained to be the pastors can preach. Are you ready for the story? 250 some men showed up in the yard and 50 men gave their life to Jesus. Come on, give it up. In the middle, in the middle, in the middle of that desperate place, there is light. And today they're having their first public worship service. I can't wait to hear what's happening in the middle. You see, Jesus shows up in the middle of their greatest fear and identifies who he is. I am who I am. You see, moms and everyone here, young people, God will show up in the middle of your situation, your circumstances, your sin. Listen, I sat on the back row of this church when we used to have the stage over here and I was in that corner. It was a Christmas Eve service eight years ago. I was only home from Oklahoma for the weekend because I was working, even though I'd just been married, I was working in Oklahoma and coming home and Pastor Greg told me he never walks the audience but he walked to that back row. And I had met Pastor Greg one time when I was 27 years old. And he called me out, asked me to meet him the week after the new year. And he asked me if I'd help him plant 10 churches. And he brought me to his office. Some of you know this story. It was a tough time. It was a joyful time, but it was a very tough time because he said, you have some dark places in your past few years. And he forgave me. And I sat there and I wept. He said, you're not done and God's not done with you. Let's plant 10 churches in 10 years. And we did that people together in four to five years. And now we're planting all over. I'm presently coaching 17 planters that are planting in the United States and around the country. And we have 
house churches in Kazakhstan. Now we're going to be in Asana. I got to go to Belarus last September, and we're with the leading church plant there and dedicated that building, and you people brought heat to that building. Come on, give it up. In the middle of Belarus, they've now asked me if I'll train the next 40 church planters. Listen, here's the deal. In the middle of your pain, he will show up. Let me introduce you to the the four awesome moms I want to tell you about today. First of all, my wife, Julia, here right next to me. I'm 50 pounds heavier. Come on, give it up. I'm down 50. But Julia is an awesome mom. And that's Gracie right next to her and Corbin. Corbin gave his life to Christ here a few years ago at Union Chapel. And Maggie got baptized here at Union Chapel. Uh, Listen, we thought our life wasn't complicated enough. We each had three kids, so we said, let's have six together. Come on. And now we have eight grandchildren together. And those three kids aren't even married yet. I'm in real trouble. Listen, but in the middle, Julia guides our life. She didn't just dress me today. She keeps me on track. She graciously lets me do what I do. Many, many wives wouldn't say, go to Belarus. She goes, I need a few days of quiet. Come on, so... But the bottom line is, she so sees the vision. She's awesome. Now, I want to show you the next slide. This is my oldest daughter, Leah. Listen, women, can I tell you what you decide? You not only decide everything in the home and the house and the car, you decide who you're going to marry. Come on. And you actually make it seem like we chose you. Come on. I told all my girls, you choose your husband. Don't let him choose you. That's what I told them. And I never forget, I watched father of the bride with all my two girls and my favorite line they they still remember this in father of the bride you know episode one with steve martin my favorite comedian remember annie is her name my youngest daughter's name annie but annie gets a toaster from her to be husband and she goes i can't marry him he bought me a toaster come on that's how dumb we are guys that's why we don't make any decisions and my favorite line in that movie is steve looks at his daughter annie and says annie it's not too late to back out come on (laughs) with both of my girls at the top of the aisle before i walked them down the aisle and then flipped around and did their ceremonies i said to leah first it's not too late to back out come on And I did that with Annie, and they laughed. They just laughed their heads up. But they chose well. Women here, young women here, choose well. She chose Aaron. She met him at Anderson University. Aaron dreamed his whole life to be a jet pilot in the Marines. Aaron became a Marine. He's the first Marine in 30 years to become a Blue Angel and to become Lieutenant Colonel this past September. And I went to that ceremony, and it's what I'll never forget. It was COVID, so I was the only one that got to go. He had it in his home, but there were about 30 military leaders and wives and spouses and children, and then about six other lieutenant colonels. And when they gave him this promotion, they let him speak. And he stepped forward And he told this story. He started looking straight at my daughter, Leah, and said, Leah, we have moved 16 times, and you have never, ever raised one question. You, in every city we've moved to, you have found our home, 
You have raised our children. You have found our church. You have found the places where they go to school. You have impacted our three children. I, I love our children, and I've been in their life. But Leah, and he had tears streaming down his face. You have transformed in the middle of our lives. You have transformed our children's lives. They couldn't have children for eight years. I'll never forget the phone call when Aaron said to me, Dad, Leah thinks it's her and I don't want to get tested. I said, man up, Marine, go get tested. My favorite line when he called me, hey, Dad, I got a bunch of them, but they can't swim. Come on, people. <laughs> they beefed him up medically and they've had three of these beautiful kids. These are three of my oldest grandkids, Finn, Miles, and Evelyn. And at that ceremony, none of the people present were Christians. And he looked at Leah and said, we all know Jesus the way we do because of you. Go to the next slide. This is my daughter-in-law, Alicia, and my son, my only son, biologically, Corbin's my other son, but uh, Brady and Alicia, you see Elisir and Brady's arms? They went through the pain of infertility. See, it's a painful day for some women here today and painful throughout the country. And they, they did everything. They did IVF. They spent over $60,000. And then Alicia heard, let me tell you what women do. She heard about the ability to adopt an embryo from a family where maybe they'd frozen eight embryos and had four left and they weren't going to have any more children. And they met this couple and they adopted an embryo because she could not carry her own embryo. She'd had numerous miscarriages. And Alicia gave up her body, the womb, in the middle. Say in the middle. In the middle of her life. In the middle of her soul. She gave birth to Ellis. Is he, come on, is he one beautiful little boy? And so they had Ellis. He's two years old now. And guess what God did? Is God awesome in the middle of our pain? He reset her body. They weren't going to take any protection to have kids after Ellis. And you know what happened. Yeah, she carried her own embryo. Come on, people, give it up in the middle. God shows up in the middle. And she has developed now about 156 relationships with other women that have carried an embryo that they couldn't carry their own. And she has ministered to them. And in the middle, she has changed their life. Women. Moms, you can change the world. I went to Phoenix and planted that church and listened to Bill Gaither. And I watched women and moms change Mountain Park Community Church. We went from six to 12 and then 23,000 phone calls. And we watched 80 to 90% unchurched people. We watched women choose Mountain Park. We watched them choose Pueblo Middle School. You know the joke, don't you? If you can raise up a church at a school with the initials PMS, God's in it. Come on. <laughs> and I watched Diane Potter take 25 angel trees for these kids of prisoners' kids. And I watched it grow to over 1,000 kids. I watched Robin Earl take 25 boxes and asked the church to give 25 boxes to Samaritan Purse. And I watched it grow to over 5,000 Samaritan boxes. I watched moms change. When do they have time? By the way, the course we sang, God never stops working, never stops working, 
If we sang it again, you just insert the, wrong, the word moms. Moms never stop working. I kept singing moms never stop working. They were laughing around me down here. They never stop working. They never stop giving their life away. And I've watched them transform that Mountain Park Community Church. I watched Elena Porter feel called to do Christian yoga. And people made fun of her. And she came to me and I said, if God placed it inside of you, Elena, to do that in the middle of your spirit, you do it. She had two at her first class 10 years ago. That's 15 now, let me go. 15 years ago. She taught that class. In the next class, she had one. Come on, people, get excited. Do you know what I mean? She taught last week in Phoenix, Arizona, 2,269 people at Christian Yoga. Come on, give it up. God placed this dream in the middle of her spirit. And Elena Porter is one of my heroes. She came to Union Chapel a few years ago for our church plant. And now we have a guy like Kelly Barco with, in his spirit to do CrossFit and plant churches. He wrote me yesterday and said, I've now met two other pastors that can teach CrossFit like me, and they're planting more churches. Now listen, when I started Mountain Park Community Church, I'm nobody anyways, but I didn't know anybody in Phoenix. And one day at the airport, when I was out trying to raise money for this church, I was going to L.A., and I had been sneaking up to Phoenix First Assembly. And I saw in the airport Tommy Barnett. Now, if you don't know Tommy Barnett, he's one of the most outstanding pastors I've ever known. But I didn't know Tommy Barnett. Tommy Barnett built the Dream Center. He's amazing. He did church on the street downtown Phoenix. He taught me how to do church on the street. But I had never met Tommy Barnett. And I thought, this is my chance. So I walked over to this man. I said, Pastor Tommy Barnett, my name is Robin Wood. I'm nobody. You don't need to know me, I promise. But I just want to tell you what impact you've had on my life. And he said, well, tell me about yourself. And I said, well, I planted a church down in Chandler. And he pushed my shoulder and said, are you the guy that made 23,000 phone calls? I said, yeah, we did that. He said, Robin Wood, I will put you in first class with me if you'll tell me that story. Now listen to me, people. He put me on that plane with him. I told him that story very humbly. And he invited me to his national church planting conference. And I told that story. And he invited me up every year for those 18 years I was there at Mountain Park. But I'll never forget the year that he had Bill Wilson speak. Bill Wilson had been his bus pastor at his church and had gone to New York City to plant a church. And he came back to speak. Now, all the other headline speakers would speak at 6, 7 p.m. at night, you know, the keynote service. But Bill Wilson spoke at 10.30 a.m. on Saturday morning. And I showed up, and about half the crowd, because it wasn't what they considered the keynote, but Bill Wilson told his story. And he said, when I was nine years old, my mother took me out to the curb in front of her house and said, son, you sit here. I'm going to the store and I'll be right back. And she never came back. And I sat there for three days. On Friday, a man came by that was visiting kids in the neighborhood and he sat down beside me. Said, would you like to go to church on Sunday? And I said, I think so. 
and he left. He came back on Saturday to visit more kids in the neighborhood, and I was still sitting there. And he sat down beside me and said, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. He said, I'm only nine years old. He said, well, I'll be back tomorrow morning to pick you up on this curb. And he showed back up, and then he learned that Bill had sat there for three days. And he picked him up for church, and he took him to church. He eventually adopted Bill, and he led him to Jesus. And Bill's entire life was changed because in the middle of his crisis, in the middle of his mom never showing up again, this man adopted Bill Wilson. And Bill was speaking. He had tears streaming down his face when he said this. You know why I'm speaking at 10.30 today? Because at 1 p.m., I'm flying back to New York City, see? Not because I'm the pastor. We have other preachers. But I fly back because I drive the bus every Sunday. And I pick up kids. And then he leaned into the mic and he said, you know who I pick up every Sunday? I pick up myself. And I began to weep as I listened to him speak. And then he pointed his finger in a warm way and said, would you spend the rest of your life picking up yourself? Whatever pain you've gone through, whatever you've been delivered from, addictions, sin, whatever brokenness from your parents, would you go pick someone up that has your situation? Do you know what I do every week? I train new church planters. I'm now gonna go hopefully into 200 prisons over the next few years. Look at me, people. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to train myself again. And I told those guys in prison my story of my broken family. I said, look, there are three kids in my family, and it wasn't always so easy. Our mom had some challenges. And I said, we're born 14 months apart. And I named my oldest sister, and then my brother's birthday is April 16th, and mine's June 16th, and hers is February. And I never mentioned dates like that. But I mentioned those dates, and I said to them, you can plant a church, and you can be reconciled with your family. And I talked about my reconciliation with my brother and my sister and my family and being there, knowing my mom's story and forgiving her. And I told my story. And I wept as I told it. And when I walked off that platform at that prison in Florida just two weeks ago, two men were standing in the aisle. They had gathered together. One was actually 76 years old. I told him I was 67. He said, just flip-flop your age. And the other one was in his 40s. And they both said, look at our tags. (laughs) And the first man was born June 16th. And the second man was born April 16th. And they were weeping. They go, we need to reconcile with our families. I need to reconcile with my brother. I need to reconcile with my mom, my dad. I need forgiveness for them. And we prayed together. Is God awesome in the middle of that prison? Come on, give it up. Is God awesome? 
And I just want to ask you, will you simply go pick yourself up somewhere? My youngest daughter, I didn't show her a picture. Annie, pregnant at 20. I'll never forget that phone call. But guess what? She said, Dad, I remembered who I was in Christ. So even though I was told to get an abortion, I said no, to go by plan B. And that precious youngest child of mine has Ada there. Now that's an older picture. Now Ada is 14 and Junie is eight. And every time I see Ada, you know what I think of? My daughter Annie being faithful to Jesus to say, I'll have this child. And guess what Annie does with her life? <laughs> She's there for pregnant teens. She's a counselor. She's doing trauma counseling with her life. She's picking herself up. Now, all I want to ask you today, I laugh sometimes being here at Union Chapel. Sometimes you find out you're in a Republican church by accident. Come on, just laugh, just laugh. <laughs> I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a, we weren't even raised political, okay? So I came to staff a few weeks ago. They said, tell us what you want to preach about. I said, well, I got to first of all tell you, I said, did any of you see the Oscars? Of course not. They're all Republicans. Come on, people. Laugh. Come on, just laugh. I said, did you see Tyler Perry? Listen, I followed Tyler Perry's life. He loves Jesus. And if you watched him, he got the Herschel Humanitarian Award. And he got up and he gave this talk. He said, my mother taught me to refuse hate and refuse judgment. And he said, one day when I was coming out of my studio, before we did some filming, I saw a woman come out from the corner of my eye. She was homeless. He said, I hated that I judged her, but she was homeless, but I judged her. He said, I wish I could talk about judgment. And then he said, I was reaching in my pocket to give her some money when she said, sir, I need some shoes. I have no shoes. And he remembered when he was homeless and didn't have shoes. So he took her into the studio. She was reluctant to go in. And they had all the boxes of shoes because of all the filming and the linens and the clothing. And he found some shoes. And she had never looked up once. And then with tears streaming down her face, she put a pair of shoes on. And she said, thank you, Jesus. My feet are off the ground. And then Tyler Perry said, will you join me in the middle and help people get their feet off the ground. And I thought of Bill Wilson. I thought, will you pick someone up that's you? Will you change this church? However God speaks to you today, will you give your life fully to Jesus? If you've been wavering, would you get in the middle? Because you see this story that started in the middle of a garden and then the middle of this lake in the boat. Guess where it ends up? Look at me, people. Jesus ends up in the middle of two other crosses, two lost people. And one mocks him, and the other one says yes. Will you be the one who says yes today to his spirit speaking to you? Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, thank you for meeting us in the middle. And God, would you help us pick someone up? That's where healing happens. That's where hope takes place. This is where lives are transformed. 
to meet in the middle. And that day from the middle of the cross, you said to the man on the right, you'll be with me in paradise because he reached out. God, I'm praying that all over this audience, people will reach out to you today to hear your still small voice, some for salvation, some for ministry, some knowing that they can go pick someone up in the situation they've been in and change their life. God, would you speak to us in the middle of this service? Before you open your eyes, if you felt the Holy Spirit speak to you today, would you raise your hand right now? Just raise it. Say yes. I'm going to say yes all over the place. Raise your hand. Say yes to the Holy Spirit that calls you to be the mom you should be. Raise your hand if you'll be the mom Jesus wants you to be. Raise your hand right now. Awesome. Awesome. God, thank you for this moment in Jesus' name. Amen.